Hello, friends. It's Tracy here with a quick correction. Last week, we mentioned that Leah from Greenleaf Geek is selling adventure calendars, but what we forgot to clarify is that while those calendars are currently for sale, they won't be shipped out until the end of November. So, if you're looking for an advent calendar for the nerd in your life, check out Greenleaf Geek. Okay, now let's get on to the show. pulling a card out of the Rowan style deck. I got my my one shoulder. My we both have the same look right now. We both have oversized shirts on with one shoulder exposed. I'm so annoyed. I don't uh that is not a good look, I don't think. Like you're killing it, but I don't know that you should be trying to. Like I don't I mean, listen, it's the softest shirt I've ever felt. I just bought it yesterday and it's incredibly comfortable. That's the thing. The shirts that are so, like, slubby that they go off of one of your shoulders, that's the place to be. Yeah, I'm here for comfort. Not here to be a style icon. No, no. And <laughs> I feel like it's a really great test to see where people are at, like, how they react to your shoulder existing. Yes. <laughs> I know, because it's summer, and I just went and got coffee before this, I was like, oh, my shoulder is exposed. I'm like, there are people in tank tops and shorts. Yeah, yeah, it's but But something about your shirt kind of being half off of where it's supposed to be is very suggestive in a different way. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I'm on this big uh, crusade, maybe, about how just mm-hmm. as summer's coming out, just because people are wearing less clothing does not mean that they are specifically trying to entice you. Uh, human beings get to exist. <laughs> and oh, yes. Just because you are attracted to someone does not mean it is their responsibility to deal with it. This is my adventure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. I'm on board with that. Just because someone's wearing something does not mean it's for you. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Tracy and I share TikToks. Um are we surprised? No. Do we talk about it all the time? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I watched a TikTok the other day that is, it was talking about how a lot of men think that just because they like something that it is specifically for them versus mm-hmm. them liking it just being a side effect. Does that make sense? Like, uh, I like popcorn, therefore all popcorn that is made is inherently for me kind of idea. It's like, well, no, the popcorn's oh, so there. Like the idea of kind of being entitled to it, so when it's not specifically for them, it's like, how dare you? Yes, entitled. Mm-hmm. That is a great word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that. You know, video games that have a, a female-centered story, men get, you know, so there there is a group of men out there that get entitled because video games are for them. And, you know, with Black Widow, the movie is such a good example where people are very up in arms about it because it is a rare occasion of media, not for men specifically, even though it totally is. But when you see 
movies written by women, for women, directed by women, men get up in arms because they're experiencing for the first time a lack of something for them when everything's been for them. All the time, always. I can't remember if I've talked about this. Tracy, were you in this elementary school class of mine? I cannot remember what grade it is, but I remember just being so frustrated about everything we read being about boys. God, maybe it was early middle school. Whatever. I was upset. Everything we were reading was boy main characters. And I asked my teacher about it, and they said, well, yeah, because... Girls will read stories with boy Mm -hmm. leads, but boys won't read stories about girls. What? I remember being in middle school writing for fun just because I was like, I want to be a writer. And my mom was like, why are you writing a book from the point of view of a boy? And I said that to her. Ah! Yeah. And I was like, well, that's just how it is. And now now as an adult, I'm like raging against... The patriarchy. <laughs> hey, uh, young, I want to be a writer, Tracy. Look at you now. Mm-hmm. I'm still not really a writer, but uh, I am Are fighting. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, positive affirmations. This is episode 53? We've, we've, been, we've been writing for a pace, I think. Yeah, all right. You're, that's fair. I guess I just think of it. I'm a podcaster. I think of it as a podcaster. And until I have a book, I'm not ready to put writer under my tagline. That's fine. Uh, just the the 25 pages of notes in front of me are, uh... <laughs> hey, I'm Rowan Hall. <laughs> and I'm Tracy Harrison. <laughs> and this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original written retellings and in-depth <laughs> written research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. <laughs> And I occasionally get roasted. (laughs) (laughs) The William Fable roast. You are what you want to be. You're succeeding. Roast. (laughs) If you, dear listener, would like to support this podcast, you can leave us a review, find us on Patreon, check out our merch on our willingandfable.com site, or you can support us by wandering through the woods in torn yet flowy robes, causing nearby families and neighbors to believe that you are, in fact, a ghost haunting them. <laughs> but no matter what, we're happy to have you here. Every time. <laughs> it's always so fun. Torn yet flowy is such a specific vibe. It is. It is. I want it torn, but I want it bre- I want it flapping in the breeze. I want I want a nice mystic I'm moving my arms in a way that <laughs> listeners cannot perceive. But that, you know that 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 that, that wiggly I would say right now, Tracy is a cross between the cloak of billowing and an octopus. That's my sweet spot, baby. That's where I thrive. (laughs) (laughs) You know what about thriving? Uh Uh-huh. Actually, you know what about thriving? (laughs) Next episode... We have CK from Mirths and Monsters on as a guest. We are officially thriving. Oh, we are officially thriving. You guys, you have to tune in next week for this episode because Rowan and I are so excited. If you have not listened to Mirths and Monsters, first of all, what are you doing? Because if you like this show at all, you will love his show. He is so funny. Rowan and I were talking before we hit record. Just chatting about his most recent episode and 
his mix of dry yet campy humor. Yeah. It's iconic. Incredible. Check out Mirth's Monsters. He's he's coming on our show next week. I, oh, I'm so excited. And if you like our show, but you have munchkins in your life, Mirths and Monsters is especially good because he and his cast of characters and critters all go on adventures to find the exciting and the fantastical things around the world. It's part radio play, part research, and it is totally family friendly. So 10 out of 10 and um, not to be that guy, but he he is also Scottish. Um so this next episode we might just be quiet the whole time um <laughs> he has a voice made for radio and podcast I it is know. so charming i know i know all right ck we'll see you next week yeah. we are thriving because you are our guest thanks for agreeing to join <laughs> us before we jump into the actual episode this week uh we have one more item to talk about and that is as has been for a few weeks now, our spring sponsor, our spring and summer sponsor, Greenleaf Geek. We've talked before, but we want to mention it again, because we have wizard and rogue dice. I don't think that is fully computed for me, that no. something we wrote now has official dice for it. Wait, what? I'm sorry, what did you say? Something what? We what? <laughs> it's not a book. <laughs> yes, it's not a book. <laughs> so Leah from Greenleaf Geek is so amazing. She made us handmade custom dice based on our characters, our specifications. We came in with some ideas, but she just was so inspired. And I'm too happy playing with my Rosalind dice. Now I don't use a <laughs> dice roller on the computer as much as I want to. Sometimes I do the math because... Rolling the real math rocks is so satisfying when they are custom made for you. I every every angle of these dice gives me a new surprise. I think that's the best part. Yeah, she really got the shimmer down pat on yours. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing we're really excited about in her curated collection, we have specific dice just for the wizard and the rogue. There are the wizard dice. They're black with beautiful blue lettering. We have the rogue dice. They're black with this like rich pink. And then the Blood Oath dice are this beautiful mm -hmm. shimmery red. And the Noble Magician dice, these are the ones that I'm kind of like extra giddy for at the moment yeah. because they're white yeah. shimmery with gold. Mm -hmm. They don't look like anything else I have. I don't think they look like anything else you no, have. I'm racking, I'm racking my brain. No, I don't have anything like them. They're, they are, they're all, they're so beautiful. And and they just tie into our story in a way that even our listeners don't fully know yet. Mwahaha. Mm, mwahaha. So if you want to go shopping, everyone, <laughs> check out GreenleafGeek.com. Head over to at GreenleafGeek on Instagram or Twitter. When you order, use our custom coupon code. We have a coupon code. It's Fable. That's F-A-B-L-E. You get 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. Uh, Trace, what what are we doing today? Today, we are talking about my sweet, sweet, old, skinny, cranky crone, <laughs> Baba Yaga. Oh, wow. That's how it's pronounced. Okay. Yeah. I learned that it's pronounced Baba Yaga. I will forget many times and just say Baba Yaga. 
but it's supposed to be emphasis on the first ba and the second ga. Baba yaga. Okay. But, Rowan, how much do you know about our sweet lady Baba Yaga? Oh, you, you hag, you set me up. (laughs) 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 Actually, (laughs) all I know is that she's a a spooky hag lady. I hope she's, Mm -hmm. like, she's a proud hag. We're proud of her. She's a hag. But all I know is that men are afraid and she is spooky and older. Yeah. Oh, spoiler for for this episode. I love her. And that's not going to change. I love her. Um, she's not good. She's not evil. She's just herself. And we're going to dive into it. You chose this topic, I think, a year ago now. And mm-hmm. this episode is finally rolling around. And I sat down at my computer. and I was like, I could look up information. And then I said, no, I'm going to go in knowing nothing. I'm going to be your red team today. I know not one single thing. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Okay. To give a little bit of context, before we talk about Baba Yaga herself, I want to discuss hags, because Rowan and I often talk about being proud hags. But first, let's address the question, why are hags? Why are hags? Why are hags? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Catherine Briggs writes in her book, an encyclopedia of fairies, hobgoblins, brownies, boogies, and other supernatural creatures. A hag is a wizened old woman or a kind of fairy or goddess having the appearance of such a woman, often found in folklore and children's tales such as Hansel and Gretel. While hags are often seen as malevolent, they may also be one of the chosen forms of shape-shifting deities such as the Morrigan or the Baub who are seen as neither wholly benevolent nor malevolent, but operate within their own realm of morality. The term hag appears in Middle English and is a shortening of hagetess, an old English term for witch. Can we, for anyone who might be new, just do a little backstory on proud hags so everyone knows why we're so passionate about hags specifically? I mean, yeah, so much as there is a backstory, um, older women in stories get the short end of the stick, and it's ridiculous that you have to be young and beautiful to be worth anything in historical context or mythology. Yeah, and I think, listen, everyone who's going off and having their families and living with society and their offenses and their 2.5 children and their puppies, those people don't need their lives defended because all of society is supporting that. Like, go live that happy, beautiful life. But Tracy and I are specifically here to defend the women who go off to live in the woods and be Mm -hmm. scary and maybe provide potions to a traveling villager, maybe scare a man who is doing evil, maybe just, like, go off and not conform to beauty standards and have a crow. Yes, like, there are so many ways to exist in this world that are super valid and important. And Rowan and I have just always connected with the hag. It is such an unfair term because it also implies ugliness, and ugliness implies poor character, and those are not the same thing at all. And everyone is beautiful in their own way, and we stand by hags. Like you said perfectly, Rowan, we stand by those who society does not always support. We love a hag. All right. So. Okay. So. Often seen as a stock character in fairy or folktales, the hag can sometimes share characteristics with the crone. While the two words are sometimes used interchangeably, the crone can often be seen in the more favorable wise woman role, 
while the hag tends to remain at best mischievous and at worst malicious. You ready to talk about the woman herself, Baba Yaga? Yes. (laughs) I'm so excited about this episode. So if you know anything about Baba Yaga, you probably know at least one of these two things. She lives in a house that has chicken legs. (laughs) (laughs) And John Wick is referred to as Baba Yaga. What? That second one uh, about John Wick is a fun part of an objectively great movie, and I will not be taking comments otherwise at this time. It's unfortunately inaccurate. The movie probably meant to refer to a different Slavic folkloric creature, the babaika, or babai, who is a night spirit that steals children who don't go to sleep. That character falls more closely with the boogeyman idea of the John Wick character. However, while the movie mislabeled Baba Yaga as a boogeyman, she is a far cry from the night-stalking babai. Instead, she is something I find much more interesting. Is Howl's Moving Castle... Is that moving castle based on her house if it has chicken feet? Oh, maybe. There's definitely, there's characters in the Miyazaki world that kind of pull reference to Baba Yaga. She's really famous for having a really big nose and crooked, sharp iron teeth. Spirited way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different characters. I mean, even in Howl's Moving Castle, there's a character that kind of resembles Baba Yaga. So I would say, yeah, um, a spoiler, her house having chicken legs, I had to look up. I was like, why is that a thing? It's probably a reference to the idea of houses being built on stilts to protect from flood and different natural phenomena Uh and got twisted into being actual chicken legs so the hut can move around. There's another, one of the more modern Tomb Raiders, meaning made in the 2000s, and there's a, a spooky lady character whose house is on bird legs. Yep. Okay. It's absolutely a reference to Baba Yaga. Okay, I'm in. I'm now here with you. <laughs> don't know who John Wick is, but we're here. You don't know John Wick? I know. I know. I'm so sorry. I wish I hadn't said it. The second I said it, I, I felt instant regret. But who's John Wick? It's a Keanu Reeves movie. Uh, oh. there's a, it's a trilogy. It's delightful. Okay. It, we'll sit and have a John Wick party, especially if our patrons are into that. We can do a John Wick watch party with I love Keanu patrons. Reeves. It's so good, Roman. He does his own stunts. He's like – okay, we're not going to talk about John Wick. That's not what this topic is. Today we're talking about <laughs> Baba Yaga. <laughs> Who is a wizened old witch of the woods living in a hut with chicken legs and she flies around on a mortar and pestle. Instead of a broom. She is just as likely to lure you into her house and eat you as she is to help you find your missing bride. Yeah, she flies around in... Sometimes it's in the bowl. Sometimes it's on the pestle. I think mortar's bowl, pestle stick. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Sometimes she flies around on the pestle. Sometimes she flies around in the mortar. Sometimes she's got both. She's got a wand at other times. Either way. Now I'm doubting myself. House with chicken legs flying around in a bowl. Are you kidding? I'm already in love with her. Wait, is it mortar and pestle? (laughs) What is going on? Someone send us a message. Let us know which one's the mortar and which one's the pestle. (laughs) Someone is screaming right now. Okay. According to an article by Benito Sereno for Grunge, 
While the exact origin of the name Baba Yaga is hard to pin down, the Baba part is pretty easy. It's a Slavic word that means old woman, grandmother, or witch, related to the more familiar modern Russian word for grandmother, babushka. The Yaga part, which is pronounced with the accent on the second syllable, by the way, is harder to pin down. It's possible that it's a diminutive of the Slavic name Jadwiga, but there's also a chance it comes from the Slavic words meaning abuse, snake, or wicked. So, terrible old witch, or the obviously superior spooky grandma, are solid translations. End quote. Oh, I'm sorry. We have another uh, lady who's maligned by society that's associated with snakes? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> associated with snakes canonically could be referred to a spooky grandma. How anyone at this point is not as on board with this character as I am, I will never understand. I love her so much, and I'm just so excited to continue talking about her. I'm really upset because I've realized since sisters of yours have children, you will get to be a spooky grandma, and I never will. Well, spooky aunt, but yes. I think if you're old enough, aunts just instantly become grandmas. It's like an easy bake oven. Like one day, you're just a a grandma instead. I get the transitioning into grandma. How how the hell does Easy Bake Oven fit into that? Oh, you know they make that charming little ping like when your brownie has been cooked by the lamp. No? Every every oven makes a ping. <laughs> every timer makes a ping. You're talking about a timer. <laughs> okay. So eventually your timer dings, and no matter who you are, you become a fun, spooky grandma. I'm on board with that. (laughs) (laughs) A little turkey. Your little thing pops out. (laughs) Your little thing pops. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Your grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's a spooky grandma. (laughs) All right, Baba Yaga is most commonly depicted as either an old woman or a trio of old sisters all of whom are skinny with long noses that stretch up to the ceiling when they sleep and teeth made of iron. She's often illustrated riding around in her mortar and pestle instead of a broom with the aid of her magic wand, and her iconic house is depicted deep in the woods standing on magical chicken legs, sometimes with a rooster's head on top and often with a fence of skulls surrounding it. Yes! Right, right. Okay, I put a picture in here of an illustration I found of Baba Yaga's hut. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, so the illustration. Oh, this is so cool. It's it, There's a, a wooden fence that looks like a, like a rickety traditional field fence that is, no kidding, topped with a, just a bunch of skulls on each pillar. And then the house is just this charming little kind of one-room cottage situation. Like, it was nice, but it just maybe needs a coat of paint. With sassy chicken legs. Like, the chicken no, legs are up, just... like, ooh, a little razzle-dazzle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Maya Nikitina writes that Baba Yaga was the most beloved character in Russian folklore and represented the matriarchal society where it originated. Her unpredictable nature was a reflection of the people's relationship with the earth when the weather could affect crops and harvest. Her bloodthirstiness comes from the sacrificial rituals of the ancient Slavs, and the nastiness attributed to Baba Yaga is due to the way the clergy liked to portray her in order to suppress the pagan Slavic values that remained popular with the common people despite Christianity being an official religion. 
I'd like to be surprised just one time. No. No. You cannot have that. All right. You cannot be surprised. (laughs) Christianity came in. They looked at this sort of Mother Nature-esque figure, and they maligned the crap out of her. So I know she was always canonically scary pre-Christianity. It's just Christianity made her extra. We don't more like evil, more associated mm. with like the devil and an, an evil witch, as opposed to just being this mer- mercurial creature. And we'll get into also her being. She's people like to talk about Baba Yaga as like sometimes she'll help you and sometimes she'll kill you. The reality is, and we'll get way deeper into it later on. She's a judge character. Oh. She's a, she's a morality character. So if you, as the protagonist of the story, follow the expected rules of the society at the time and the culture of the time, she won't harm you. But if you break those, that's when she cooks and eats you. Wow. I look forward to getting murdered by her one day. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of getting murdered by her, eh, good transition, Trace. I have two pictures here of... Baba Yaga herself, two illustrations that I found, and all of these will be linked on our Instagram uh, with credit to the source artists. But I want you to describe the woman we see here. So the first one is very colorful. It has this beautiful border around it that makes it look like this is a tapestry almost instead of a, a, Mm -hmm. a painting or digital art. I think it looks like it may have been painted, but she's got very golden yellow skin with hands that look like a cross between people hands and just just non-human hands a little furrier a little clawier uh she has long streaming white hair but it's growing out of her skull in patches and she's a purple nose and this very colorful outfit and she is perched on top of i'm gonna say mortar I'm going to say it's the mortar of the pestle. (laughs) The stick part, right? (laughs) And she also is holding not one, but two sticks that she could use to stab or magically cast. And she just, my girl, is perched in a grove of mushrooms and she looks so unhappy. Mm -hmm. Deep frown. She's about to mess up someone's day. And the second image... She's flying through the air in a birch grove in a bucket. That's a bucket. She's flying yeah, through the air. Yeah, that's a straight up bucket. <laughs> and she's holding a broom, but she's not using the broom for flight currently. Yes. And are strung on the outside of the bucket, there are heads in various states of decay. There's heads with faces. There's heads that are just skulls. There's crows flying around. There's children hidden in the snow underneath her, gasping with their little O-shaped mouths. And our Baba Yaga in this, it just looks indignant. She's just, her hair's puffing out like broom straw in the breeze. And she just looks like she's getting it done. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it is, but it is definitely getting done. But it is getting done. Yep. <laughs> I love these illustrations. In the book Baba Yaga, The Ambiguous Mother and Witch of the Russian Folktale describes our leading lady as one of the most famous witches of Slavic mythology. Baba Yaga makes an appearance in hundreds, if not thousands, of folktales in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, and other Slavic countries predating the 18th century. The first clear reference to Baba Yaga occurs in 1755 
with Mikhail V. Lomonosov's Russian Grammar. Lomonosov's grammar mentions Baba Yaga twice, among other figures, largely from Slavic tradition. The second of the two mentions occurs within a list of Slavic gods and beings next to their presumed equivalents in Roman mythology. So the Slavic god Perun, for example, appears equated with the Roman god Jupiter. Baba Yaga, however, appears in a third section without any equivalents. This attests to the perception of her uniqueness, even in this first known description of Baba Yaga. It's noticeable that, like Hecate, Baba Yaga presides over a wide and diverse array of domains and functions. And sometimes Baba Yaga has three forms, three faces? Sometimes she's a trio. Mm -hmm. Okay. She is in so many stories and in so many different countries that it can be hard to pin down a canonical version of her. So sometimes she's a trio of old women. Sometimes she's a young woman. And she'll transform from this old creepy crone into a beautiful, beautiful young woman. Sometimes she's just a crone who lives in the woods. Depends on the story, the time, and the country of origin. So I feel like Hecate, with her three faces, would would respect Baba Yaga. Yes. Oh, I think they would be pals. Mostly because I want that for them and for me. Mm, sassy lady murder pals. Ooh, I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> sassy lady <laughs> murder pals? Yeah. Or embroidered on a pillow. In our future cottage in the woods. Yes. <laughs> chicken feet. With our sassy chicken feet. It's got to have a little, ooh, a little kick. A little, <laughs> a little razzle-dazzle. A little, uh, <laughs> Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge kick. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So, Baba Yaga can be seen on a variety of lubki, which are wooden block prints that were popular in the late 17th and 18th century Russia. In some instances, Baba Yaga appears astride a pig going to battle against a reptilian entity described as a crocodile. Some scholars interpret the scene as a political parody. Peter the Great persecuted old believers who in turn referred to him as a crocodile. Some instances of the Lubki feature a ship below the crocodile, and Baba Yaga appears in what some scholars identify as Finnish dress, and Catherine I, Peter the Great's wife, was sometimes derisively referred to in such a manner. Get him. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Famous Slavic folklore scholar Andreas Johns says that Baba Yaga can be seen as a literal evil witch, treated somewhat humorously in these prints, or as a figurative witch, an unpopular foreign empress. Both literal and figurative understandings of Baba Yaga are documented in the 19th century and were probably present at the time these Lubki prints were made. I love her. She's a literal witch and a figurative witch. Yeah, next time someone asks me if I'm a witch, which happens often enough that I can plan for the next time, I'm just yeah, going to yeah, say, yeah. literally or figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> And then respond with, mm, yes. Both, both, both is good. Both is good. <laughs> to quote a Vice article, Across folklore and within single tales, Baba Yaga shifts between a maternal helper and a cannibalistic villain. She's well known as a frightening witch, but Baba Yaga is also an ancient and complex manifestation of origin myths and shifting cultural anxieties. In the tale of Vasilisa the Beautiful, Arguably the most famous story in which Baba Yaga appears, she takes on several 
seemingly conflicting roles. Rowan, would you like to hear a brief summary of the tale of Vasilisa the Beautiful? Yes. <laughs> Good, because that's what I was going to do anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, great. So we're going to skip forward with no context. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Vasilisa the Beautiful. I'm going to give a brief overview of that tale. By his first wife, a merchant had a single daughter who was known as Vasilisa the Beautiful. When the girl was eight years old, her mother died. On her deathbed, she gave Vasilisa a tiny wooden doll with instructions to give it a little food to eat and a little to drink whenever Vasilisa was in need, and then the doll would help her. As soon as her mother died, Vasilisa gave the doll a little to drink and a little to eat, and it comforted her. After a time, her father remarried, and the new wife was a woman with two daughters. Vasilisa's stepmother was very cruel to her, but with the help of the doll, she was able to perform all the tasks imposed on her. The family hated Vasilisa and often gave her dangerous tasks in the hope that she would be hurt or killed. One day, the merchant had to embark on a journey. His wife sold the house and moved them all to a gloomy hut near a forest. The stepmother gave each of the girls a task and put out all the fires except a single candle. Her older daughter then put out the candle, whereupon they sent Vasilisa to fetch light from Baba Yaga's hut. This was in the hopes that Vasilisa would be devoured by the witch and removed from their lives. The doll advised her to go, and so Vasilisa went. While she was walking, she saw three men ride past, a man in all white on a white horse, a man in all red on a red horse, and a man in all black on a black horse. Finally, she came to a house that stood on chicken legs and was walled in by a fence made of human bones. But Vasilisa was too frightened to run away, and so Baba Yaga found her when she arrived in her mortar. Baba Yaga said that Vasilisa must perform tasks to earn the fire she needed, or she would be killed. She was to clean the house and the yard, wash Baba Yaga's laundry, and cook her a meal. She was also required to separate grains of rotten corn from sound corn and separate poppy seeds from grains of soil. Baba Yaga left, and Vasilisa despaired as she worked herself into exhaustion. When all hope of completing the task seemed lost, the doll whispered that she would complete the tasks for Vasilisa, and that the girl should sleep. As the girl slept, the doll did complete all of the tasks to perfection. Baba Yaga returned and could complain of nothing. She bade three pairs of disembodied hands seize the corn and squeeze the oil from it, then asked Vasilisa over dinner if she had any questions. Vasilisa asked about the rider's identities, and was told that the white one was day, the red one was the sun, and the black one was night. But when Vasilisa thought of asking about the disembodied hands, the doll quivered in her pocket, and she realized she could not ask and told Baba Yaga she had no further questions. In return, Baba Yaga inquired as to the cause of Vasilisa's success. On hearing the answer, by my mother's blessing... Baba Yaga, who wanted nobody with any kind of blessing in her presence, threw Vasilisa out the house and sent her home with a skull lantern full of burning coals to provide light for her stepfamily. Upon her return, Vasilisa found that since sending her out on the task, her stepfamily had been unable to light any candles or fire within their home. Even lamps and candles that might be brought in from outside were useless for this purpose, as all were snuffed out the second they were carried over the threshold. The coals brought in the skull lantern, 
burned Vasilisa's stepmother and stepsister to ashes. And Vasilisa buried the skull according to its instructions, so no person would ever be harmed by it. Later, Vasilisa became an assistant to a maker of cloth in Russia's capital city, where she became so skilled in her work that the Tsar himself noticed, and he later married Vasilisa. There are other variations of that story, a ton, but that was a kind of succinct version that I threw together based on a few different readings. There is some Frau Halle in there. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of Cinderella in there. The- okay, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> in this story, Baba Yaga acts as a trickster, villain, and savior, ultimately helping Vasilisa to rid her of her stepfamily, albeit through shockingly violent and roundabout means. A skull filled with fire? Yeah, a skull filled with fire that burns them to ashes. I want it. I want it too. Unlike the traditional godmother figure, Baba Yaga is outside the bounds of morality, and her aid often comes in menacing forms. I love her. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Arguably, Baba Yaga's other most famous story is that of the death of Koshkai the Deathless, or Maria Morvana, which was collected by Alexander Afanasyev. That story goes more or less like this, but it's important to remember that these tales change from Belarus to Russia to Lithuania to Hungary, etc. Ivan Tsarevich had three sisters. The first was Princess Maria, the second was Princess Olga, and the third was Princess Anna. After his parents died and his sisters married three wizards, he left his home in search of his sisters. He met Maria Morvena, the beautiful warrior princess, and he married her. After a while, she announced that she was going to war, and she tells Ivan not to open the door of the dungeon in the castle where they live while she's away. Overcome by the desire to know what the dungeon holds, he opened the door and soon after her departure, finds Koshkai chained and emaciated. Koshkai asked Ivan to bring him some water, and Ivan did so. After Koshkai drank twelve buckets of water, his magic powers returned to him and he tore his chains, and he disappeared. Soon after, Ivan found out that Koshkai took Maria Morvana away, so Ivan chased him. When Ivan got to him for the first time, Koshkai told Ivan to let him go, but Ivan wouldn't give in, and Koshkai killed him. He put his remains into a barrel and threw it into the sea. But Ivan was revived by his sister's husband's, the powerful wizards, who could transform into birds of prey. They told him Koshkai has a magical horse, and Ivan should go to Baba Yaga to get one too. Otherwise, he would not be able to defeat Koshkai. Ivan went to Baba Yaga's hut and faced her test. And he got the horse. He went and fought with Koshkai and killed him. Then he burned his body. Maria Morvana returned to Ivan and they celebrated his victory along with his sisters and their husbands. Okay, we got a little Bluebeard vibe going on for just a hot second. Got a l- I had to include this. Can we just talk about how this is the opposite of that? The man is mysterious, and the woman just simply can't help herself and has to get everyone into trouble. Because the woman is the warrior, and the man is the curious homebody who just has to explore the thing he was told to ignore. That's awesome. I just, I had to include this because of the flip of the roles. I, amazing. Incredible. I, I love it. Baba Yaga's bringing it. 
<laughs> go get a magical horse. Then you'll be able to save the day. Okay. You'll be able to save the day. Just go get a magical horse. There's more detail about what he actually, his trials and what made him succeed in them. But, you know, there's only so much time that I have here to talk about these stories. Was it picking poppy seeds out of clumps of dirt? Because that sounds like hell. It does sound like hell. It, we'll get into it in a little bit, but women tend to succeed with Baba Yaga when they can perform chores, when they're kind, when they're, you know, all those nice things. And men seem to succeed when they prove their bravery and valor. Oh. Mm-hmm. Listen, she can't be perfect. Sometimes, sometimes she just needs to reinforce gender stereotypes. Okay, I mean... I'll fail because I'll fail at the chores. But if she needs a valor, I, I'm coming in hot. There you go. Just just come in as a um, as a brave young man. A mad lad. According to the folklorist Joanna Hubbs, Baba Yaga's ambiguousness is directly connected to her femininity. And her femininity is connected to the natural world. Andreas Johns, author of many books on Baba Yaga, explains that she can be seen as an aspect of a great mother goddess whose dual nature as genitrix and cannibal witch reflects a fundamental paradox of nature. In some ways, she's an earth mother figure. In others, she's closely associated with death. According to Johns, Baba Yaga's complexities and contradictions make her unique among folk figures because most folktale characters in European traditions behave in a predictably unambiguous way in relation to the hero or heroine. They either help or they hinder. Hmm. Two very important telltale roles are those of the villain, who harms or seeks to harm the protagonist, and the donor, who is helpful and gives the hero or heroine a magic agent. Baba Yaga confoundingly takes on both roles, sometimes within the same story. In a thesis titled, Baba Yaga, the Judicious Magistrate of Russian Folklore, the author, Joanna Kate Ruth, asks the pivotal question, what are Baba Yaga's motivations? What are Baba Yaga? What are Baba Yaga? <laughs> <laughs> the patrons will know in the Discord while I was researching this, I was trying to look up why Baba Yaga's hut had chicken legs, but I accidentally typed, why does Baba Yaga, and hit enter. <laughs> so my... My thesis for this entire episode is, why does Baba Yaga? <laughs> why are men? Why are Baba Yaga? Why are men? Why does Baba Yaga? Let's dive into why does Baba Yaga. Why does she not settle into the camp of either good guy or bad guy? Why is Baba Yaga given license to help some characters attain their goals, yet murder others who cross her path? Is there a common denominator? What exactly makes up Baba Yaga's code of conduct? In order to answer these questions, we must look at the overarching picture of Baba Yaga's relationships with the story's characters, rather than the roles she fills for each interaction. When looking at the overall picture of Baba Yaga's stories, it becomes clear that throughout her tales, she is a testing character. The biggest common denominator in Baba Yaga's stories is that there is always some sort of interaction between a character and Baba Yaga, in which the character proves his or her own worth. Baba Yaga cannot be a neutral character. She must either help or hinder. However, her role as Judiciary Magistrate is only valuable if the criterion to which Baba Yaga holds characters accountable is known. 
Defining the reasoning behind Baba Yaga's reward or punishment is the key to understanding her role as a judge. Because she examines a person's character or abilities, or both, and gives a sentence based on her findings, it's only logical that she must have some sort of standard for these judgments. Whose law is she playing by? All judges have a code they draw from, and Baba Yaga can be no different. We see that the female characters she helps are usually proficient at completing homemaking tasks. For men, the standards shift away from homemaking and loving wholeheartedly to bravery and goodness. In the story The Firebird, Prince Ivan and his brothers are given the task by their father to go guard an apple tree. The first two nights, Ivan's older brothers fall asleep and more apples are missing by the morning. When it is the young Prince Ivan's turn, he catches the firebird about to eat an apple and tears a feather from its tail, scaring the magical creature away. The father promises the whole kingdom to the son who catches the firebird, and the brothers set off on a wild hunt for the bird. The youngest tromps through the woods to Baba Yaga's hut and demands it turn to him. And the Baba Yaga emerges, claiming to spell Russian spirit. His response is opposite of female characters who are typically afraid of Baba Yaga. Ivan, instead, is aggressive and commanding. I'll knock you off your seat on the stove, you old she-devil, he says. The Baba Yaga cowers in fear and helps Prince Ivan, rewarding him for his bravery and boldness despite his young age, as well as his warrior spirit. In Baba Yaga stories, it's common for young men, especially young royal men, to be brash and bold with Baba Yaga. End quote. Okay, respect your elders, buddy. Right? Which is also a theme later on we'll talk about, respecting your elders. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that is the one thing that's a little bit like, okay, she's a reflection of her time. If she is this moral judgment character, then a young royal needs to be a bold, brave royal, and that's the story that you tell, whereas a young common woman needs to be demure and good at house chores and you know whatever oh yeah it's part of the story he's the hero he has to go be saving the day and that's yeah that's the nature of the beast but i find it so interesting that the crux of her character comes from the listener or the reader understanding that set of moralities because if you understand the cultural context in which the story is being told you know from the get-go if the character is going to survive their interaction with her or not. Whereas us reading it today might not always know. Right. She seems mischievous, but the mischief has a set of rules. Mm-hmm. She's less mercurial than we describe her to be today, given our understanding of the stories. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that if you hadn't pointed out. That's cool. Yeah, the... The reason Baba Yaga seems so fickle in her stories is that she's meant to be fickle. She was never intended to be the hero or the villain. She's just a mirror upon which the true character of the protagonist is revealed. When a character stumbles upon or even seeks out the hut of Baba Yaga, they are not only confronting a monster, but a reflection of themselves. One that will reveal their true nature, one way or the other, for good or for bad, for help, or for her lunch. There's another version of the tale of Baba Yaga that closely resembles the story of Hansel and Gretel. Two children enter Baba Yaga's hut, and she gives them impossible tasks to complete. If they do not fulfill the task, she will put them in the oven and cook them for dinner. These children are able to escape with the help of some talking forest creatures, a tree, and a gate, 
As the two flee, they toss a comb behind them, and a brush, and a hand towel. These are an attempt to slow Baba Yaga down. But the comb transforms into a mountain range, and the brush becomes a dense forest, and the towel turns into a vast lake. Sergei Levchin, author of Russian folktales from the collection of A. Afanasyev, claims that this chase scene is a motif that occurs often in Baba Yaga tales. Folklore's Vladimir Prop sees this as an echo of the ancient myth of the giver of fire whose flight from the abode of the gods becomes an act of creation in our world. Except in this case, it's children running from a chicken-legged hut creating mountains instead of Prometheus running from the gods. Either way, Baba Yaga's hunger enables the creation of forests and trees, and if that's not the embodiment of hangry, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's going to be the new Snickers commercial. <laughs> you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> you make mountains when you're hungry by chasing children through the woods. Have a Snickers. Baba Yaga. <laughs> oh, I love her. I love her. There's so many different versions of her where it's like, oh, now she's a sort of creation creature. She is Mother Nature. She is death. She tortures children. She helps people. Just all different variations. And at no point is she ever truly good or truly evil. Right. Nature is neither truly good nor truly evil, and nature is both creation and death, so it makes very much sense that she is fitting right in that pocket. So let's talk about Baba Yaga as the judge, jury, and executioner of these stories. In her thesis, Ruth explores the question of why Baba Yaga was able to be such a powerful judge, both within her stories and the greater cultural context of the time these stories were written. The author asks, why is this old gnarled woman given the power of life and death over others? And why of all mythical figures is an old witchy woman with iron teeth and bony legs given such authority? To answer this question, Rowan, we're going to go back in time to the year 1200 in Russia, which was known then as Kievan Rus. Oh. Yeah, we're going to go back in time a little bit, talk about some witchcraft. Kievan Rus at the time had been converted to Christianity and Russian orthodoxy was firmly established. Typically, in Abrahamic tellings, we see stories of wise men, kings, or male judges being associated with judgment and ruling bodies. Why then did a gnarled, terrifying old woman earn such a firm place in the culture of the time? Well, witchcraft in Russia was viewed entirely differently than how witchcraft was perceived and treated in the rest of Europe. In her book, Desperate Magic, The Moral Economy of Witchcraft in 17th Century Russia, Valerie Kjelvelson, a leading expert on 17th Century Russia, explains that medieval Russians were not entrenched in religious zealotism like their Western European counterparts. Russia was untouched by either Reformation or Counter-Reformation theology and relatively free from religious warfare. Although the idea that pagan origins of a witch figure were non-satanic brings to modern mind a magic-based feminist movement decrying patriarchal physical abuse, Kivelson reports that women retaining feminine power through magic was not the norm in Kievan Rus, but many female witches were expected to be kept in check by their husbands or fathers. There, okay, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Yes, let's take a second to unpack all of that. So... The long and short of it, uh, witches were not really prosecuted in Russia the way they were in the rest of the world. The idea of witches wasn't based on the satanic nature. Actually, 
men were accused of witchcraft, outnumbering women four to one in Russia during the same time. That's bananas. That is not talked about. It's not talked about, and it's the reason why witchcraft is seen differently in those parts of the world than they are in the western part of the world because they're just was held onto this idea that being connected to this sort of pagan earthy roots was not inherently an evil thing whereas in our european countries it was very much an evil thing right if you can keep the satan out of the pagan then uh then it doesn't just get that automatic it doesn't get labeled as the antithesis of Christianity, when in fact it just exists in its own sphere. Yes. Yes. And despite Christianity's best efforts, they were not able to fully push that way of thinking through those countries. So they tried to make Baba Yaga this evil satanic figure, and it just didn't work. And the same way of witchcraft just the the panic of witchcraft just didn't sweep through these areas the way they did the rest of the world. Keep calm and witch on. Keep calm and witch on. <laughs> <laughs> In her blog titled Interpreting Baba Yaga, self-proclaimed fairy tale nerd Kristen states that one very interesting observation was made by Olga Pirianes Chavernoff in 1983. The differences in how Baba Yaga relates to the hero as a either villain or donor, has everything to do with the age of the hero. To young children, Baba Yaga is a threat. She abducts them and attempts to cook and eat them. Yet when the heroes are adolescents, she's usually the donor, even if she tries to take advantage of them. The older heroes find ways to manipulate her into giving them advice or magical aid in their journey. I don't fully agree with this, because I, I've seen stories of children outsmarting her, but wanted to include this 1980s perspective. She's uh, she's like, get on my level, live for 80 years, and then talk to me. That's interesting, because usually you think of kids as also having kind of a trickster role. Like, they're mm -hmm. a little bit more clever because of their attachment with childlike wisdom or magic or what have you. It's interesting to even hear that adults are, like, the outsmarters, according to this perspective. According to this, which I... I based on my one week's worth of research, don't necessarily agree with, but <laughs> I am not the end-all be-all of Baba Yaga knowledge. However, I think it's, that is just too, it's an oversimplification of her as a character to say that she hunts children and helps adults. Dagger of nuance, baby. Let's go. Yeah. Another one that I wanted to include, because I just thought it was interesting, but it also is a little bit too non-nuanced is the idea that some people interpret Baba Yaga as being a mother figure, sometimes even the mother-in-law or somehow related to the hero. She might represent people's resentment against their mother's control in childhood. In European tales, it is often supposed that the evil stepmother or witch is a manifestation of the bad side of the mother. Through the eyes of the child, she's the one who controls and punishes, whereas the good mother is often represented in another form, like a magical animal. I don't agree with this for Baba Yaga. I think it's a cool interpretation of the idea of motherhood in story. But as we saw with Vasilisa the Beautiful, she had an evil stepmother, and she had her mother helping her in the form of a magical doll. And Baba Yaga was a very creepy godmother figure, which I love, mm -hmm. but not this 
not this version of the mother i think in none of the stories i've shared so far which are the kind of most popular ones do i agree with this idea of her being a mother figure not to say it doesn't happen but it it's a cool concept for story just i don't think it applies to baba yaga as firmly as presented it brings up the interesting question is every maternal act that a woman in story performs something that makes her a mother figure like can a woman behave in a nurturing way without falling into that character type or that trope uh depending on how we're looking at it from a societal standpoint maybe yes maybe no i would go no personally i agree i would go no because we just inherently say oh you're caring for someone that's motherly but we don't do that for men no we don't we, you don't prescribe someone being fatherly very often unless it's a very direct, I have taken on this human being for protection, and now I am a father figure. Sometimes we do shame men for fulfilling what we consider traditionally female roles in the home. Oh, we absolutely do shame men for that, and that's a whole other thing. Patriarchy is bad for everyone, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> So back to this witch in the woods. Yeah. So um, the thesis that I referenced earlier states that Baba Yaga's uniqueness as a near indomitable female witch is balanced with another universal aspect of the Baba Yaga character, her old age. The roots of respect for elders dates back a millennium to the writings of the Grand Prince of Kievan Rus, Vladimir Monomakh, who ruled during the 11th century at the height of the Kievan Rus Empire. The advice Monomach gave his children is still a popular idiom in Russia today. Do not forget your mother, do her will, and obey her. The prince repeats the value of respecting one's mother twice more in his letters, as well as including one's elders in the list of those to respect. The grand prince even made a note that men did not have authority over women who were their social superiors nor elder kin. This societal norm of honoring one's mother as well as the elderly pervades Russian society and is wrapped into the creation of Baba Yaga as a figure of authority and respect. Baba Yaga is the incarnation of what to respect. A grandmother figure, elderly, strong, wise, and a commander of magic. So that is kind of the answer to why is this woman able to be such a powerful authority figure in these stories? Because Russian folklore has a different set of values than our post-Christian European folklore does. It's about respecting your elders and having strength and being wise. All things that she is, and that is actually respected in these stories. It's very cool. It's it's the antithesis of the... <laughs> the point that was actually made very well in Grace and Frankie, where when a woman becomes older, she just becomes invisible. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I love that her age is a point of strength in this story. And that is a big thing that I love about the whole our proud hag conversations. Right. You get better with age. You get more experience, more knowledge, more skill, more life under your belt. And we need to respect that and see that for the power that it is instead of thinking of only the only good way to exist is to be young and beautiful if you're a woman men get to be old and cool and wise and powerful 
Yeah. I don't even have time to get into it. There's like a cutoff for when you get to stop being good as a woman. What's the cutoff lately? Was it 25? I keep hearing something about 25. Ew. Is it ew? 25. 20. That's so young. Five. No one knows anything when they're 25. No one knows anything ever. (laughs) No one knows anything when they're 25, when they're 35, when they're 45, when they're 105. Unless you're Baba Yaga. Unless you're Baba Yaga, and then you know everything. (laughs) As much as Baba Yaga reflects the morals and character of the protagonist she meets in her stories, she also reflects the character of the cultural values of Slavic culture. She is judged during an executioner based on a subjective test in which she deems people good and bad. However, since these terms are flexible and change with culture and time, her stories are a direct reflection of the values of the time in which they're written. She's not a villain or a hero, but a testing character, a moral compass for those who encounter her tales, and a guide for the impressionable youth at the time of which the tale is told. No one can claim to know the true origin or purpose of Baba Yaga in mythology. However, her roles in these stories seems to be clear. Baba Yaga is only a monster to be feared if you have something within yourself to be afraid of. In short, as a friend of mine said when I was talking to him about this story, you're an asshat and I'ma learn you good. Uh, in which learn is a euphemism for eat. Okay. <laughs> I dig that. All right. In her article for Vice, Marissa Clifford claims that Baba Yaga's ability to live physically and morally outside of the bounds of society and within the bounds of paradox make her a compelling and powerful figure. She's mercurial and dangerous, which could be seen as a reflection of men's fear of the sexual power of women. But she's also a reflection of the awe-inspiring power of Mother Nature, a complicated figure who is celebrated for her refusal to be tamed. She may well be so compelling for women today because of her rejection of social standards and the power that comes from that. She's an outlier with power that isn't derived from her beauty or her relationships with others. Instead, it comes from within her, her earth, her hut, and a fiery stove. I was not ready for how much I was going to love this woman, which is saying something (laughs) because I love a proud hag. I knew, but she's a very cool figure in folklore. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Just that last paragraph I had to include because it's everything I love about her. She, her strength and her power comes from herself and herself alone. She doesn't need anyone else. She doesn't want anyone else. She's only interested in helping when it suits her, when it when she wants to. She's outside the rules of society. Like, what, literally, what is not to love about this character? I don't know. Unless you don't like a skull fence, I can't think of anything. Okay. So now that we've talked about that for a while, it's time for me to tell you a story. Technically, your third story of the episode. This is pretty lovely. I know. I, I, I included – I didn't craft those out of nothing. Those were compilations of – Stories written throughout the ages of Baba Yaga. This one is my own. My own contribution to the mythos. Mm -hmm. It takes me no more than one or two seconds to judge a soul. I'm sure that's a disappointment for you to hear, given the many stories of my devilish trials and wicked tests to judge a person's character, but the truth of the matter is that almost exclusively by the time someone is done knocking on my door, I already know everything I need to know about them. Now I hear you asking in your clever and infinite wisdom, but Baba Yaga, 
why do you give them such impossible tasks? Firstly, don't question me, and secondly, in short, because it's fun. Not to mention, nothing worth getting ever came easy. I'm doing these people a favor by making them work for their rewards. If I just handed out help willy-nilly, I'd have every last lad and lass knocking down my door, wanting this, or that, or this other thing. I have a reputation to uphold. At first I thought that being old and wrinkled with a long nose and sharp iron teeth would be enough to keep people away. I was tired of the world asking too much for me, and I knew that the older I grew, the less people would care. People are only interested in the young and beautiful, so I secreted myself away to the woods and indulged in my favorite style of decorating, the grotesque. I kept to myself. I enchanted my house with chicken legs so that we could move about if needed, and I covered my garden in skulls of various shapes and sizes, and I generally enjoyed my evening flights on my mortar and pestle. Who looks at all of that and thinks, Ah, yes, I must approach this woman. Fools. That's who. Desperate and overconfident fools. The first one came to my doorstep, certain that he could take from me what did not belong to him. He came in cocky and headstrong and demanded from me what I didn't feel fit to give. I thought to myself that he would make an excellent example to the rest of the world as to what I could and would do to intruders into my home. So I made a show of it, setting up my fire so large it could roast ten men his size. I flew about the house screaming obscenities and generally making a crude ruckus. I let the man slip away, thinking he was so clever, but I knew he would share with the world that I was a monster best to be left alone. The absolute buffoon felt fit to share his daring tale of bravery and cunning over the incredibly powerful witch of the woods. He went about to all the villages and spread lies that he outwitted the infinitely cruel and equally strong crone of the forest. This brought more brave and cunning men to my doorstep, determined to make a name for themselves through me. Fine. If theater wasn't enough to scare them away, then I'd make it real. I killed and ate the next three men who came bursting through my cottage door. There, I thought, that should send a message clear as day. Leave Baba Yaga alone, or she will devour you. But then a helpless little girl arrived at my doorstep, and I may be a witch and a monster, but I'm not heartless, so... I thought, if people are going to keep showing up here, then I'm going to make it work for me. So I gave her chores to do, and I overlaid it all with the vague threat of death to motivate her. I don't know what motivates children. Death seemed like it would work more effectively than candy. Plus, I don't have candy. She completed her tasks, and I sent her on her way with the whatever it was she asked for. I can't remember. But no good deed goes unpunished, because now more men and women and children alike all started showing up at my house uninvited. I tried to distract or confuse them. Sometimes I would appear as a beautiful young woman, so they'd think they got the wrong house. Other times I would be a trio of crones. Honestly, it started to become fun, thinking of all the ways I could trick and distract and confuse those who wandered into my home. 
I liked the idea that so many versions of my story were floating about the world. I do so hate to be seen as boring, and I think I did quite a good job of ensuring that no one saw me as boring. Eventually, when so much of humanity comes to your doorstep, you learn to see the patterns among them. There are only so many variations of people that exist in the world, and I have seen them all countless times. Not everyone was worthy of my help, but unlike the tales, I didn't always eat those who failed my trials. Some I chased away. Others I outright refused to help, but yes, there were those I did kill and eat. I've never claimed to be a saint, nor would I want to be. I only serve one master, and that's myself. Now then, dear one, what was it that you came to see me for? Let's see if Baba Yaga can help, or if perhaps you should simply start running now. Oh, that was one of my favorites. Oh, Thank that was you. one of my top faves. And I quote, who looks at all of that and thinks, ah, oh, yes, I must approach this woman. <laughs> <laughs> I originally wanted to write the story. I was like, oh, what could be fun is taking Baba Yaga and putting her in like a very, very modern setting and talking about like the what would make her help or hurt someone, you know, based on our cultural standards. And then I sat down and was just like, nah, I just sassy Baba Yaga, like I imagine it as sitting across from someone who came in and she's like just villain narrating her entire life story. I love her. I love her so much. I love her especially as told by you. Oh, thank you. She that is my canon, Baba Yaga. I I love her so much. I love because I wanted to include because it there's always that inclination that I have to make someone good. So I wanted to at first I was like, well, what if I write about her not really hurting people? And I was like, no, she actually does do that. Like that's a full part of her character as much as anything else. So I always forget that you are that way. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Sweet summer child. I know. I just want. I want goodness in the world. I hate sad things. But this wasn't sad. This was just super fun. It was so much fun to write. And just, it, the more you think about it, the more that she's just, you describe her and then you're like, yeah, people just willingly go to her. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I would, though. If I knew Baba Ga was in the woods around my village, I'd go. But I'd go, and I'd go full Penny Dreadful on it and be like, teach me. Yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, not yeah. leaving. <laughs> That's fair. That's true. I bet she would teach someone. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What if Baba Yaga doesn't live forever and ever? What if she just takes on... What if it's a title? Yes! It's a title! Ooh. <gasps> That's <gasps> why there's so many different versions of her. Oh, my God, because she's different every time. Yes! <gasps> That's our idea. Trademark. Uh, copyright. Don't steal it. That's ours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I love that concept. Oh, I love it. It's like James Bond as a title, but for witches. But for, oh, amazing old hag. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Tracy and I are going to be getting to work on that in a hot sec. So uh, let's wrap mm -hmm. this episode up. We got writing <laughs> to do. What? <laughs> The very last thing I want to talk about is a book called Ask Baba Yaga, Otherworldly Advice for Everyday Troubles by Taisha Kitaskaya. And the second book to that, 
Poetic Remedies for Troubled Times from Ask Baba Yaga. What? Both of these books are based on an advice column that was on the internet. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's a description of the first book, uh, Ask Baba Yaga, Otherworldly Advice for Everyday Troubles. In age-old Slavic fairy tales, the witch Baba Yaga is sought out by those with a burning need for guidance. In contemporary life, Baba Yaga, a dangerous, slippery oracle, answered earnest questions on the hairpin for years. These pages collect her most poignant, surreal, and humorous exchanges, along with all new questions and answers from those seeking her mystical advice. A snippet of which is, Someone who wrote in, Dear Baba Yaga, I think I must crave male attention too much. I fear that without it, I would feel invisible. To which Baba Yaga replies, When you seek others this way, you are invisible nonetheless. Your shawl is covered in mirrors in which others admire themselves. This is why they greet you so passionately. It is good to be seen, but it is better to see. Find a being to look hard into, and you will see yourself and what is more than you. I, we, the book needs to go on our recommendations page because I need to buy yeah, it. Yeah, both of them will be on there. <laughs> both of them will be on there. That is Ask Baba Yaga, Otherworldly Advice for Everyday Troubles, and the sequel book, Poetic Remedies for Troubled Times from Ask Baba Yaga. Tracy, great job. Gosh darn it. <laughs> that was so good. Thank you. I'm so, so glad you let me just take this whole episode to talk about Baba Yaga. Originally, Rowan was going to share this episode with me, and I selfishly said, nope, it is mine. I want to talk about her. It's for the best. It it went down more like, hey, we're not going to have time for anything else. This is going to be too fun. And you were right. <laughs> she's just, she's so different. Like, there's the stereotype of the witch stuff, of the hag, of like the bent, crooked nose, old lady, stringy hair, broomstick. And then there's just this extra layer of fantastic quirks the mortar and pestle the house on chicken legs the fence of skulls her mercurial nature the way that she's this mirror to the characters i just haven't seen very many characters like it and oh she's so good that's it that's all i've got so i really wanted the 12 foot skeleton from home depot that no one can get what if instead of that for halloween slash year-round decor we make giant chicken feet, so it just looks like your house is sitting in the yard, and the feet are just sticking out in front. <gasps> oh my god, I love that. I bet someone's done that somewhere. Oh, I'm sure we could find That's it. It's so cute. <laughs> I love that. All right, Tracy, tell me something good. All right, my something good is pretty simple. I had my first training class with my puppy this week. He's finally becoming an educated lad. Is it you training and him training or just him training? Um, It's sort of both. It's the instructor teaching us how to teach the dogs and then them learning in class. I've been doing training on my own with him. He already knows how to sit, stay, lay down, look at me, and uh, leave it. But today's class, we worked more on leave it and drop it and did some nose work. And then afterwards, there was a puppy socialization. So he got to play around. So he just had a grand old time. And it was really cool to meet other dog owners in a similar kind of time frame with their puppies mm -hmm. that I'm in. Um, which the, the woman who conducts the classes says it's, you know, half training class, half just group therapy for puppy owners. Oh. 
<laughs> Do you think Malcolm knows that he is going to become an absolute monster truck of a dog? No, he has no idea. He has no idea. He thinks he's small. He doesn't even know that he's huge now compared to other dogs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and his best friend is – well, he's got two best friends. Uh, one is a chocolate lab who is roughly the same size as him. The other was at training class today, and she's this tiny little corgi oh who is God. somehow more dramatic and strong-willed than he is and actually bullies him, which is so cute and funny. Because he doesn't mind. He loves it. Oh, he's such a good boy. He's He really does try very hard to be a good boy. When he knows what he's trying for. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's exactly it. He's He's... Very confident, very brave, very stubborn, but also very excited to learn. Loves a good task. Um, he's a good boy. And so it was really cool to see him in class today and watch him learn. Like, it's just really fun doing that. So that's my something good. Dogs are so cool because you can see the gears in their brain turning. You can watch them figuring it out. Yes. We did a... a like a sniff game. It was like a, a game where they have to they, – it's puzzle toys where they have to use their nose. Uh, that's the word. It was nose work is like what it's called for dogs. <laughs> and they had – there were six of us in the class and they had six different toys and you like went around and saw what worked. And this is a helpful tip for anyone with any age dog if you want to do nose work, which is really good for stimulating their brains and getting them distracted – Amongst all of the fancy puzzle toys that he just didn't really care about and was too distracted by, his favorite thing was a muffin tin with tennis balls stuck on top. Like, no glue, nothing. You just, you put a treat in the muffin tin, you stick a tennis ball on top, and he loved it. And that was, like, his favorite thing to play with. And it's, like, great. I don't have to spend a ton of money on expensive puzzle toys. I can literally just take a tin and put things on it, and he loves it. Sold. Come on, you've never seen a human baby get a bunch of presents for Christmas and then they want the boxes and not the presents? Every yeah. time. Those are the rules. They are the rules. They are the rules. <laughs> so I, I have not spent a ton of money on puzzle toys and I'm just going to use that trick as well as trick that uh, you sent me in a TikTok, which is to put mm -hmm. a bunch of food in a towel and twist the towel so they have to go smell and find yeah, food. Yeah, I think that's so clever. Yeah. So it was really cool. I love this class because everything feels that obvious when I ask the instructor, what should I do about this or that? And she's like, oh, this thing. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Okay. Yeah, if you just had the knowledge, your brain would get there, but conveniently you have the expert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now it's your turn, Rowan, to tell me something good. My something good is even more simple. Uh, I just rediscovered Epsom salts. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I know. Okay. Tracy and I love a bath bomb. We love a fruity, you know, salty, I love all smelly fun bath products. Give it to me. Give but me all I, of it. I just bought a giant thing of just run-of-the-mill bath salts. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> it's <laughs> it it feels so silly because they're not fancy and special but like i heard my grandmother's voice in my head and i just basically made myself a tiny little private spa oh, i love that and when i tell you it was all dumb stuff like it was simple bath salts and it was just like a hot tea that i made myself and it was just it does not have to be fancy to be wonderful exactly it was i just had a, a moment of discovering 
the the cheap drugstore aisle <laughs> of my hometown. <laughs> I bought all the dumb stuff, like the most Good. basic scented candle. It was so nice, and I uh, have trouble uh, relaxing, so... That was my something good this week. And I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. So you have puppy training. I have bath salts. And I think we're doing great. We're doing our best at the very least. When are we to move into our chicken foot house? <laughs> mm. <laughs> depends. It depends on if we're going to move into that before or after we move into our fancy castle. Chicken foot castle? The technology is expanding. There's no reason why we can't have there a chicken no foot reason. castle. There, okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. We are, we're, we'll host a, a Willing and Fable ball at our chicken foot castle. <laughs> oh, my Listen, God. Listen, if we're going to have a castle, I want to have a ball. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. You can have a ball anytime you want. Okay. Thank you. You say ball, we have ball. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, if you like what we do, tell a friend. Oh my god, did you just take my <laughs> line? <laughs> Tell a foe, which is what Rowan just became to me. And, and we'll see you soon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. Mm-hmm.